Every year in Canada, we take time on Remembrance Day to remember and honor those who went overseas and sacrificed for our country and the freedoms that we still enjoy today. The contributions they made were immeasurable, but what about the people whose contributions to the war effort involve work on this side of the ocean? These people never wore military uniforms. They never held rifles in their hands. They never stormed the beaches of Normandy. Instead, these people made sure that Canadian service members had food both at home and abroad. On this episode of the 519 Podcast, we take a look at the Farmerettes. These were young women who kept our crops growing here in Ontario, while young men who lived in our communities were in Europe and Asia fighting the Second World War. How did the Farmerettes program begin, and what happened to the program after the war? To help us find out more, here's your host, Haley Chang. In 1941, the Second World War was well underway and hundreds of thousands of young Canadians were enlisted to join the fight overseas. When we think about that time in Canadian history, we often are reminded of the women who went to work in factories to continue producing goods while the men were at war. But something we don't think about as often is what happened when the men who lived on farms went to war. After all, as important as guns and ammunition are to a soldier, neither means much if that soldier doesn't have food. Slogans like, food will win the war, and we can't fight if we can't eat, flooded the posters of the time. And so great effort was put into making sure food production continued in Canada. And that led to the creation of the Farmerettes program. Bonnie Sitter is the co-author of the book Onion Skins and Peach Fuzz, Memories of Ontario Farmerettes. People don't know the the value of the farm labor and producing food. I mean, they were producing food not just for Canada, but for their military overseas and and they were sending food to Britain just tons of food was going to Britain in 1943 the badge added the line food for victory mm-hmm. it was it was really important and um, uh, women hadn't been involved in a lot of um, jobs you know in in agriculture or in in factories even Bonnie Sitter co-wrote the book with Shirley Ann English Shirley Ann says the Farmerette program was established as a way to make sure the supply chain of food wasn't broken. The Farmerette program was set up um, because um, uh, during the war, actually 19, it started in 1940, and it was set up because uh, um, of the men, particularly the farm labor men, were enlisting and going off to war. And there was no one to uh, take their place at that time. So the uh, Department of Agriculture and the Department of Education and the Federal Department of Labor all got together and set up these uh, seven brigades, one of which was the Farmerette Brigade. The Farmerette Brigade turned out to be the largest one over time. It lasted from 1941 to 1952. And in that time, 20,000 girls went through the program. And the reason they had the Department of Education in there was because uh, that's how they found the girls and how they advertised for them to join the project. And uh, they gave them a little hooker because if they joined and promised to work for 13 weeks in the summer, they would get out of writing what they called the departmentals, which were the final exams for the year. You had to have uh, reasonably good marks to do that. 
not fantastic marks, but reasonably good marks. And uh, once you signed up and were accepted, they paid your way to wherever your camp was going to be. And uh, by the end of the war, there were 54 camps. Some of them were quite small. Some of them had about 30 girls. Some of them were housed in uh, with the farm families themselves. The girls saved the harvest, you know, because they weren't just working in onions and peppermint like, like I was. Down in the Niagara Peninsula, they were picking all the peaches and the plums and the cherries and everything. There were strawberries to pick. Everything had to be picked up, gathered, sent away. And it wasn't just for the people of Ontario. Um, a lot of the, the uh, harvest would be sent to our allies, England particularly, sent a lot of food. And this was market gardening food, which is the basics, basic things, you know. Lily DuPont was a farmerette in 1949. And while her involvement in the program came well after the war had ended, she still had good reasons for joining. They advertised in the paper for uh, workers to pick fruit. And uh, I, they, I don't know how many papers it was in, but uh, we got one anyway. And uh, we were contacted, not me, myself, but the school. The school, that's who they went through, was the schools. And uh, they put the ads in there, and then anybody that was interested, well, they signed up, and, uh, yeah. And uh, they paid, the Department of Education paid, um, they paid our fee. And the Department of, uh, where did I get here, Department of Education uh, forgave us our very last exams in grade 8 to go into grade 9, as long as we had a good percentage of marks. And uh, so we didn't have to write those final exams. And uh, so that's how we got away with uh, coming down for three months, June, July, and August. And we didn't have to write those those, uh, exams. And they paid our way there, and they paid our way back. Shirley Ann English was also a farmerette. She says it was an experience she knew she would never forget. What I remember seeing was a poster outside the guidance office. And my girlfriend and I looked at it and looked at it, and we thought this would, this would be a great chance. Not just farm work, which we'd never done. I'd never worked on a farm in my life, and neither had she. And, uh, but it was a chance to get away from home for the summer uh, on on our own, sort of, even though there were going to be 100 girls there. Um, but just to get away, do something different. And, uh, well, I think it was the freedom of it. Because they were going to pay our way down there. And we thought that would be pretty nice. Now, in those days, uh, the early 50s, there wasn't a lot for teenage girls to to do. And the, the, the girls they wanted in uh, our brigade were 16 to 18 years old. Um, the brigades, as I mentioned, there were seven of them. And they covered the Ontario population from age 12 up to age 85. And they were all put in different brigades. And ours, as I said, was the farmer at brigade. Um, and... So we decided to join. So we signed up 
and uh, our parents agreed, yes, we could go. And uh, so then we did. We thought this was a great adventure, you know. So, uh, and it was. It turned out to be a great adventure, something we never forgot. Just about every farmerette looks back at that time in their lives with fondness. It was such a great memory for them and something they'll always remember. But sadly enough, it's been a memory that's been largely exclusive to the ones who lived it. And given how important it was to the war effort, it's a story that needs to be told. But if it wasn't for one fateful moment, Bonnie Sitter might not have known about the farmerettes' stories, just like the way many of us might feel before listening to their stories today. Bonnie says it was the discovery of a picture that led her to find out about the program and eventually get connected with Shirley Ann. I became interested in uh, the farmerettes when I discovered a black and white photo in uh, my late husband's photo uh, collection. I didn't recognize the people in the photo and I turned the photo over and it said farmerettes about 1946. Um, I had no idea who the farmerettes were. I'd never had a conversation about them, never studied them in school. And uh, I became very curious. I thought, that, well, this is, this is bad. Um, it's, it's obviously Ontario history that I don't know anything about. So I started doing research. And uh, in the research, I found enough information that I could write an article for um, the Rural Voice magazine. And a few months later, um, a lady who had been passed the magazine through di two different sets of hands in London wrote a letter to the editor saying how touched she was by reading the story because 1952, when she was a farmerette at Thedford uh, Farmerette Camp Number 6, uh, she had worked for the Sitter family, my in-laws, and um, she had dated the man that became my brother-in-law. And it was absolutely, even though the work was, was hard and the hours were long, it was still the best summer of her life. She then um, told me that she advertised in, pays, <clears throat> in newspapers across Ontario saying, if you were a farmerette, get, get in touch with me. I'm thinking about writing a, a magazine article. Nearly 300 ladies in 1995 responded to that ad. Wow. A lot of them said, what do you want to know? Uh, send me the questionnaire. Call me. I'd like to help. But a few did write their entire um, memories that came to mind in 1995. And I said, do you still have those letters? And she said, yes, I think I do. And I said, well, dig them out. We are going to write a book. And within that book, Farmerette's stories are finally being told. Shirley Ann remembers the hot days on the field and the hard work she did, starting with the initial shock of day one. I remember we were uh, arrived at this first field. It was onion. It was an onion field. And the onions were just starting to grow and they were up Oh, I forget how many inches, maybe six inches up. And uh, we were just standing there gaping at this thing. And the farmer said, well, this is the, the field I want you to weed. And, uh, and we looked at him and said, you know, how, how, how are we going to weed, weed this? What are we going to do? He said, well, you get down on your hands and knees and you just pull out all the weeds. So we did. We got all got down on our hands and knees and started down these long, long rows. We straddled the middle row. So we did three rows at a time. And when we got to the end of the row, we turned around and found three more rows and get back. And we did this all day. But I think it was just being with all these girls 
And it was like going to a camp in one way, you know, but it was getting to know them. And, you know, when a bunch of teenagers get together and they chit chat and we, as we worked, we would talk about movies or boys, we'd sing and, uh, well, we did a lot of things just to pass the day besides the work. And I'm sure the farmers all thought we were slow, you know, which we were. But we got better and our bodies got stronger. I know one thing, I, uh, our bottom of our feet got stronger because we used to take shoes off and just go barefoot. And when I came home to North Bay, I remember going out with my mother somewhere and uh, I didn't have any shoes on and she was so embarrassed that I was walking around barefoot but by then our method that my feet had toughened up so much I was walking barefoot practically everywhere. Despite the hard work the adventure of it all was alluring enough to keep the girls coming back each summer. In fact one girl uh, her story is that she was a farm rat for three years and then went back as a labor secretary but they they appealed to all ages. There was, you know, whether you were a child or you could give a few weeks of your holidays or, you know, any any time at all. Um, they were desperate for, for farm labor. The farmerettes worked on the market garden farms and um, and the orchards mainly. But I mean, they they harvested tomatoes. They they transplanted tomatoes in the spring. They harvested spinach and, and uh, cauliflower and Oh, uh, oh, asparagus was a, a really a backbreaking uh, job. The motto of the Ontario Farm Service Force was we lend a hand, but it easily could have been and we bend a back. As the summers went by, it was clear that Shirley Ann and her friends had found the balance between working hard and playing hard. Some, some of the camps, the people were similar to ours. Some of them were, I, mean, I know uh, up to, at least one was an old motel. And uh, there was another one that was down in the Niagara region was a, a nightclub and a couple of high schools. Uh, I know the one in Forest, Ontario, was they were put up in the high school, same as in Grimsby. And but ours was uh, ours was a quite large space, uh, like 100 girls on the second floor in two tiers and we fit in all right. Now, the only thing is there were no uh, closets. So we had to hang things up on pegs or we had to leave it in our suitcases under our beds, things like that. You know, you could really hang up things up very well. And uh, but downstairs, the, there was, as I said, the kitchen. It was open to this big common room. The food was quite good. But we would have eaten anything, you know, we, at the end of the day. We were so tired. No matter what they put in front of us, we would eat it. And uh, <clears throat> then the, the house mother was there. There was a piano. There was a jukebox. And we had, once a week, uh, we would have a dance there. And fellas would come from all over, not just the, in the town. We were quite close to Ipperwash Camp. It was full of cadets in the summer. And there were also uh, reservists. They were there to teach the cadets. So they would come to all these dances. And uh, 
that was a great time. And then we would have time off on the other nights, except one night, Monday night, we would time in. And that's when we wrote letters or went out or couldn't go out. <clears throat> but at other times, at least in Thedford, there was a great bit of arena there, and they set it up in a roller skating rink in the uh, summer. And that was just across the field. And we did that. Um, we did swimming a lot in uh, Lake Huron, uh, because Lake Huron was very close to us. And down in the Niagara region, of course, they were really close to water. And in those places, uh, the girls used to sneak out it go past the no trespassing signs and they'd swim in the Welland Canal, which was 50 feet deep. And in those days, of course, there was nothing to prevent you going down to the canal except for this no trespassing sign. So the girls went, of course. And then we would go to movies in places around. And that was kind of fun. And Whatever it was in the evenings, we had enough energy, even though we've been working all day. You know, at that age, once you have a shower and, and your supper, you're just ready to go again and do whatever. You know? <laughs> so that part was really great. We hitchhiked all over the place. In those days, it, it wasn't as dangerous as long as we went three or four girls together, which we did. And so we saw a lot of the country around whatever camp we were in, you know. That was quite fun. Those summer memories still leave a huge impact on some of the farmerettes. It's clear it was a monumental moment in their lives. Some of them almost, you know, you know bring you to tears. They're just so sentimental about, you know, how the friendships were made and, and then it was time to go home. They could hardly believe that their girlfriends were packing their bags and leaving camp. Um, yeah, they're, they're just, um, although there's a lot of sameness to the stories about how they heard about it at their school, you know, you know, volunteer and, and help out the, the food production effort, um, things like that, you know, were similar with a lot of the stories, but each one of them had, had something different, something special about it, or many things special about it. She said they had street dances on a Saturday night and, you know, there just was always something that, you know, that they could have some fun, meet people and have fun. See what another part of Ontario was like. There was an adventure, absolutely an adventure, um, simply getting to camp and then and then finding people that, you know, did different things and off to Niagara Falls and and off across the border and and that hard-earned money, spend a little bit of it and, and, and wear the item back so you didn't have to pay uh, duty on it. And at that time, the um, the Canadian and U.S. dollar were at par. Mm-hmm. Other other girls talked about what happened on Victory Over Japan Day in in August 1945, and um, she said we convinced our house mother that we should um, be able to um, have the day off. She said, "I don't know how we did it, but we did it, and we each had twenty cents in our pockets, so we hitchhiked from Cottam to Windsor." Oh, wow. And got a ride and then paid our 10 cents to walk across the bridge. We had packed our lunch and we sat on a curb in downtown Detroit and ate our lunch. And then we came back, paid our 10 cents to walk across the bridge, hiked, hitchhiked back to Cottom. And and the camps all had curfews. I mean, you had to be home by a certain time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they really meant business. You weren't allowed to, you know, you know, just, you know, choose a time to come home. The general consensus from the farmerettes is that it was the best summers of their lives. It was a summer of independence, adventures, and friendship. It was a wonderful thing, and the girls did. And because the money was nothing, it was 25 cents an hour. And I remember after the whole summer, I came home with $23. And then most of the other girls were the same. They come home with, you know, just a little bit of money. Yeah. We were paid in memories. I think that's what it was. <laughs> they had a wonderful time doing it. We, it was just, <laughs> just a fabulous time. And you speak to any farmerette, at least the ones we, we talked to in the book. They would all say the same thing, the best summer of my whole life, you know, and it was. I guess we look back on it with joy, you know. We had so much fun, and it was all of us working together in a common cause, and we were rather proud of ourselves that we were taking the place of all this male labor. Lily's experience was not too different from Shirley Ann's. We did our bit, and uh, I think we all enjoyed it. Just an experience that I will never, never forget. We never lacked anything, and uh, we had all the services that we wanted. And like I say, we were able to walk to Rainbow Bridge and cross it and come back, and just things like that. that to a 16-year-old, it's really something. And alongside the fun the farmerettes had, The combined 13 summers of the program kept entire nations fed. It addressed a serious labor shortage during the war and was crucial to the war effort. But that begs the question, how have the farmerettes gone unrecognized for so long? Bonnie Sitter explains. I think the the, the farmerettes have been been ignored. Uh, I, you know, all the time I was working on the book, people would say, you know, what are you doing, Bonnie? And I say, well, I'm, I'm working on the farmerette story. And and I, I never met anyone who knew what the farmerette story was. And, um, you know, they say, well, is that a broomball team or is it this team or that team? And, and when the men came back, a lot of those factory jobs, for example, um, um, the women, you know, didn't have a job anymore. Uh, I think that people didn't value the work that the farmerettes did. You know, food, you know, we live in Canada, you know, we, we've got food, we, we, don't, uh, we don't have a concern. But we would have had a big concern if these girls had not, uh, had not done the market garden farming and the, uh, the orchard farming. Uh, it, it just wouldn't have worked. There had to be labor. There wasn't the mechanization to do those jobs. It, it just it was a part of our social history that, that just has never been talked about. And I, and I think it's a very important one. I mean, it, it, it's women's history, it, women, you know, coming into their own time where they, I mean, lots of people just poo-pooed and said, well, you know, you know young girls are from the city are certainly not going to be able to, to go down to these market garden farms and, and orchards and pick fruit. That's not going to happen. And yet I found newspaper articles that said, wow, we could, we could take even more of these girls. They're, you know, they're, they're, doing, they're doing a wonderful job, you know. Send us, send us more. We're happy with the, with the job they're doing. After decades of being understated in Ontario's history, the farmerettes are finally being recognized. They're all absolutely delighted because they always wondered, me too, and all the rest, wondered why nobody ever, ever said anything about it, you know? 
And you'd think even the farmers would have known. They knew about it. So they didn't say anything either. And uh, so I don't think we ever wondered why, but we all always thought somebody should say something about this. During the Second World War, many brave soldiers sacrificed their lives to fight for our country. But a lot of the efforts that were made on the home front fell between the cracks of public awareness. We can't forget the role that the Farmerette program played during and after the war. The hard work of these teenage girls kept soldiers and our country fed during uncertain times. The significance wasn't lost on the Farmerettes. But when they look back on it, it's not the hard work they remember the most. It's the relationships they made and the adventures they had. When you look back through your, sifting through your memories at things that stand out in your life, well, a lot, a lot of the Farmerettes, and myself included, that was something that stands out in, in my life anyway, and for most of the other farm rats too, because we thought we were doing something good. You know, we thought we're being helpful, uh, besides having fun and everything. We were, I think we all were very proud to be there and very proud of the work we did. This episode of the 519 Podcast was hosted by Haley Cheng. It was produced by Craig Needles and written by Haley Cheng and Patrick Magermans. The 519 Podcast is a presentation of Blackburn Media.